So, Lee Nollis is dead. Long live Lee Nollis. He got killed by the guy from Wings. Yeah, that was kind of... The inept brother from Wings. I don't know how I feel about the fact that Neil... Neil uh, his name is hard to say. Nee, Lee, Lee Nollis. Nollis. Thank you. Is is hard to is hard to say and and also hard it's not hard easy, to say lee nollis lee nollis but lee easy nollis. to kill apparently and yeah uh, yeah i the siege is a fine episode i think it's a little okay well no what, what do you got because i i felt this was after the build-up of the first two episodes which were fantastic this felt a little anticlimactic like uh, in terms of the, well, there was a lot that I loved about the uh, Kira and Dax, you know, sure. plot, which, you know, was, all they really had to do was just get to place. And once they were at place, you know, yes, their ir- evidence is irrefutable, but it just kind of, it, it's a little too neat how, you know, easy that happens. Well, and yeah, again, the thing with. I'm going to be honest. The uh, Stephen Weber character, I didn't even recognize who he was until that very last scene. Like, was he in the first two episodes? I don't even? believe so. Was he established as somebody? Yeah. So, you know, that just kind of happened. Was he somebody who was working? Like, what? I, I don't couldn't tell his motive. It really seemed like Lee Nollis died at the end because that was the most ironically dramatic thing that could happen to him. And... uh you know, they couldn't really figure out a better way of getting into that. Point. Yeah, I'm not really sure what I mean. The three parter is an interesting kind of structure, and and one of the yeah. I think one of the interesting things about this whole three parter is is that they did it. Frankly, I mean, because it's very very unusual for a Star Trek show to do a three parter, and it's very unusual for a show yeah. of this era to do a three parter. And you know, it's and frankly, you know, it, you know, d- doing a two parters are you know fine, but like. And now, even nowadays, you know, we wouldn't have a discrete three-part no. arc. It would just be going through the full season. Well, I think it's really you know? interesting that the episode starts out with two minutes of previously on, number one. I mean, that's, you know, they have to yeah. they have to summarize the previous two episodes, I guess, for people that hadn't seen it. And, of course, I think what you're seeing is, you know, because we've talked a lot about when we talked about The Next Generation and starting to talk about Deep Space Nine, and you're getting excited by the possibilities of more long-form storytelling and i'm sort of telling you oh whoa whoa hope put the brakes on because you know deep space nine is not uh game of thrones right and you know part of it is interesting to me because it's an experiment it's an experiment in in more long-form storytelling but at the same time it is still a discrete chunk of 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 storytelling and once we get to the next episode nothing is mentioned from this you know yeah, I'm going to be honest. I didn't really actually I, – I, I, for a minute or two there, you know, in that bit when Quark is saying, oh, I miss my brother. Oh, the ship is do-, – you know, just left. Like I actually thought that that was a continua- – like the ships were still out from being evacuated in the previous episode. And then, you know, or, oh, no, it's just another – you know, uh, uh, you know, it's a completely different thing. But that – you know, the, the, the fact that – I thought that it was even more of a continuation and it turned out completely not to be, you know, it's just well, it's a, an example of hurry up and wait because you've got the first five or 10 yeah. minutes of the episode, which actually are quite good. I like them. You know, you get a nice scene with, uh, miles O'Brien and his wife and his daughter having to leave and you get the yeah. nice scene with Quark and Rom and you know, you get, uh, uh, Jake and Nog saying goodbye to each other and all these kind of things. And it, it feels hurried and rushed. Yeah, Cisco saying goodbye to Jake, you know, Cisco making that really great speech, you know, like, Oh yeah. All of that really set up a very, you know, that, that was really coasting on the momentum that the first two episodes had made. As I said, I think, uh, the second episode very much felt like they were putting up a bunch of stuff in those first two and waiting it for it to fall, but we didn't have a complete. Well, crash, yeah, and and like part of it, I think part of it too is that Deep Space Nine is a, is a, is a different show than the Next Generation. I think part of the problem with, and you know, I'm saying uh, the, the episode has problems. I actually like this episode. I think it's it's entertaining. Oh. I think there are a lot of good character beats in it, and I think it's well written and well constructed. But you know, let's keep in mind that. So far, this is the, I don't know, 22nd episode of Deep Space Nine or something like that. So part of the, 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 the issue here is that we're, we're kind of suffering from small world syndrome in a way, where in The Next Generation, it didn't matter so much. We, we kind of understood that it was not a realistic show and, you know, alien mm. planets were standing in for whatever and, you know, two guys could, you know, it, it was a little town could stand in for the whole planet and it was fine. I think the problem yeah. here is that... You know, we've already seen that Deep Space Nine is, and I think it's interesting also to compare it to to Babylon Five, for instance, because 
and and I, I don't I, I kind of yeah. stay away from from talking about Babylon Five when I talk about Deep Space Nine. But one of the things that I think Babylon Five does better than Deep Space Nine is make the space station feel like an actual alive place. Yeah, there aren't a lot of yeah, there, yeah, there are yeah. just not as many extras floating around in in Deep Space Nine. You you don't get a sense of the scale of the place really. Yeah, and in like the first couple episodes of the series, even in most of the first season, you know, you could say, well, this is a place that has just been chaotically, you know, this is a place going under upheaval, a complete change in in administration, and there's a lot of people who are, you know, but yeah, people should be moving in more. Like, we don't know where, they talk about the prom, you know, the, the promenade all the time, and we sort of have an idea of that, but, you know, while the first season of Babylon 5 is a lot worse than you know the first season of this certainly we had a very strong idea of what they called it the zocalo there you know of what that was like and what you know the day-to-day what what we you get a better sense of what life is like for a mundane person who just kind of owns a shop yeah babylon 5 than you do in now this. you know part of that of course is that babylon 5 was was much much larger than deep space 9 i mean deep, deep space 9 yeah. is, is is by comparison you know i think I, I don't know how many people live on deep space 9 but i would be surprised if it was more than a thousand you know in comparison with babylon 5 which is what was supposed to yeah, have at a, the beginning there's a dozen a quarter children. million I mean, people ch- or something like that so so the scale the scale yeah. is very different but but i think it's it it's still an interesting comparison because what you have is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the provisional government and the Bajoran stuff has been sort of in the background of the first season. And then it sort of ramped up at the end of the first season when we had that, two, you know, duet and in the hands of the prophets, which led directly yeah. into this three parter with uh, with with Vedic Wynn and and with the 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 guy, whatever his name is, who I forget because it's been a couple weeks. Burial? No, not Burial. No, the, no, um, no, Joe. Something with a yeah. J. Okay, good. You're starting to turn into me where you don't remember people's well, names. Full, You're like the dude with the well, nose. Well, no, full disclosure, we took a week off between last week's episode and this week's episode because I had to do some traveling. And I don't think they actually mention Frank – what's his name? Frank Legala's uh, character name in this episode. So I'll just – Why would I know an I'll just call him name? Frank. Uh, so f- huh. the, the Bajoran Frank, uh, who is in charge of the, of the circle – and you have Vedic Win, who is sort of like they're conspiring against each other. And then you have yeah. – they, they have this huge buildup at the end of the last episode where you've got uh, all these attack forces, Bajoran attack forces from the, from, the, from the circle coming to Deep Space Nine. And they have to hurry up and evacuate. And as it turns out, it's like four dudes. And so, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a letdown because – You've got you've yeah. got Cisco and O'Brien and Odo and all these people kind of hiding out in the ducks, uh, and they are not really in trouble because there's four guys. So it's a little anticlimactic. Yeah, no, 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 no. Again, given you know, compare this. To, you know, I I couldn't help but compare the end of the second episode to you know, you know, fire at the end of. Uh, best of both worlds you know which and, is interesting because again, both of these episodes were written by michael pillar yeah and we know where best of both worlds went it went into you know an even bigger place and that was you know again that that's a that you're right yeah this again very anticlimactic it just it wasn't a the station didn't really feel as in danger in this episode as it did at the end of last episode and the stakes kind of peter out yeah and i never really get a good sense of how exactly the circle is constructed or how they could have had this coup happen i mean you get the impression that uh, the bajoran government is and the bajoran religion and the bajoran people are very divided and so perhaps it would be easy for a small group of people to to pull off a coup i I don't know but i mean especially you know they they one of the first things we hear about the circle is this phrase you know bajor for the bajorans and you can see why that kind of a sentiment would uh, be, take root very quickly because, again, this is a very uh, ununited, you know, people. And, you know, the, I mean, this this is how, you know, fascism gets, you know, goes in any society. You know, they have a very strong nationalistic identity, uh, which, you know, po- which, which, poses itself against any, you know, foreign influence and, you know, which, you know, makes a definite higher. And, you know, that's what the circle is 
explicitly doing. Obviously, their more public agendas aren't quite as xenophobic as, you know, they really turn out to be. But, you know, you can see why this would have taken root in a chaotic because, again, we have tons of examples in the real world of, you know, governments and chaos going into fascism as a result. Well, I think that's all true, but I, I, I do want to ask you, though, because you have expressed yeah. a lot of interest in, in, in Bajoran plotline, and I think that it's something that you find interesting. And so my question to you is, does this jive with what you've seen? I mean, is this believable? Does this sort of make sense? Yeah, no, I, I do. Again, for those reasons, you know, I think they've made it clear why the circle is, you know, starting. Maybe they could have – it would have been nice to have seen a little bit more of – what the average Bajoran citizen thinks of the circle, because that would have been, you know, when, when we first see this, you know, the graffiti and uh, with the scene with Odo and O'Brien and Cisco, you know, and, you know, they very, they treat it as if someone, you know, drew a swastika on the, sure. of the ship, you know, they say, you know, uh, as rightfully they should, you know, this is a xenophobic organization. It, it's a, basically a terrorist group and, you know, and all of those things. But again, we don't really see what, the average Bajoran thinks about them, you know, is the circle coming in and getting supplies to people who don't have it? You know, are they rebuilding the roads? You know, are they doing strong national, you know, cause again, that's usually how fascism gets its root. They actually get stuff done. Well, um, yeah, but, you, their you, agendas. You keep saying, but you know, we don't know what the circle yeah, is but doing. You keep saying fascism. I mean, there's no evidence that the circle is fascist. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, that that's kind of confusing. I mean, I don't know what hmm. the circle stands for. I mean, that, that is fair. I take xenophobia. And again, the fact that, you know, that's very obviously a swastika analog. And I do extrapolate that to Nazism. That's true. But they, uh, I think, you know, yeah, it, it hasn't made it clear what that means. Well, and I think that's part of the problem. And, you know, I think that, that if you look yeah. at this three-parter, and I think you have to look at it as, as a discrete entity, yeah. that, you know, like I said earlier, DS9 is, is, is sort of skirting on the edges of the serialization. And, and part of the problem, I think, with this is that, again, the Bajoran stuff has been sort of woven enough into the first season of the show that the sudden appearance of a secret, you know, quasi-military, you know, organization that is plotting an overthrow of the Bajoran provisional government really seems to come out of nowhere. And it doesn't fit with the storytelling style of the show. I think that you could have gotten away with this in The Next Generation because The Next Generation was Mm. a much more compartmentalized storytelling device. But Deep Space Nine is not that. And I think that the show is, while it's experimenting with sort of threading these things throughout the show... It's still not completely comfortable or perhaps it's still not completely aware that it's doing that. And so what you get is this weird sort of hybrid storytelling device where it's part serialized and part not. And it doesn't work because so far what the show has is this sudden appearance of something that should have been threaded throughout the first season, I think. I mean, maybe even this – these three parts may have even made more sense as – you know, the first, the middle episode and season finale in a way that way, you know, everything does have, you know, time to breathe. I mean, give, give, if you thread the circle plot line throughout the season, even, you know, they see graffiti here and there. Maybe there's another episode later on where, you know, they, you know, someone's trying to do something bad to the ship and they catch him and they find out he's a circle member. Right. And, you know, give him a little time to spout off some ideals and get some, you know, establishment going on. And then finally, you know, later in the season, they uh, they figure out who's behind it. And, you know, if they had done that kind of a thing, maybe it wouldn't have felt so. Because, again, th- this is trying to – this is a very borderline show. Again, TNG was able to compress a lot of stuff into two episodes, you know, and do a lot of establish. And because of the conventions of the type of show that it was, you know, we, we were able to accept yeah. that. A show – uh, you know, a modern show, a show that we would turn on today, again, would would be threading a plot throughout the season, you know, establishing certain beats and pacing out the beats, you know, for a more satisfying structure. This, you know, is is making, as you said, it's experimental. It's not a completely successful experiment, but, you know, this is something that, this is groundwork for later shows. You know, if this isn't Game of Thrones, maybe it's in a way 
a building block to the type to that type of television. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know to to your point. There's a couple other things I want to mention about this, and then we can move on to something else, is that, number one, they had a perfect opportunity to introduce the circle at the end of the first season. You know, they could have had the Bajoran woman who tried to kill Barail be part of the circle, you know, right? That would have been a yeah. good way to introduce it, perhaps. And then I think the other thing about this as well, and this has more to do with the structure of the show as opposed to the actual plot line, but I do think it's a little audacious to start out the second season of this show with a three-parter. I, I You know it's not something that Star Trek has really done before. And I think that it's an interesting experiment. I don't know that it completely works as the first three episodes of the second season, but you know, yeah, particularly that it's a second season because at that point, you know, you're going to want to try and repush for, you know, the people who didn't see it second season. Oh, well it's being renewed, you know, try to, you know, these, these three episodes, you know, we've seen all of the entire first season at this point, so we know where everything's coming from. But, yeah, it's who the hell is Vedic Wynn if you didn't see the first season? Right. You know, what, it, what is going – you know, who are the – you know, it doesn't really Which... establish anything. It's like we said the finale of the first season was a very confusing finale if you didn't know what any of the situation goes, but was a very satisfying one you know, with all that groundwork. So that is, you're right. That is a strange, it's a strange decision. decision, but, but, but hearing you talk about that actually makes me think that perhaps it's a little more with it than I thought, because of course you say, okay, well, if you didn't watch the first season, you don't know who Vedic yeah. Quinn is. You don't know the Bajoran situation. Well, you know, yeah. this is a show that is presuming a certain level of knowledge about previous events that the next generation yeah. never really did. So in that sense, but I mean, maybe that that's the kind of, again, shows now, you know, Breaking Bad wouldn't really establish who, you know, Gus was at the beginning of season three or whatever. But, you know, we have that expectation that, well, you're not just going to watch a random episode in the middle. You know, you're not going to, you know, just start watching a show. You know, you have to watch it from the beginning. That expectation wasn't necessarily there yet. Yeah, I think that's so, true. I, I, yeah, again, I think we're finding reasons why the show... I, well, I wouldn't necessarily say the show was so ahead of its time so far. It did. Re- it does kind of require. It's. It partially requires a different way of watching, but it also partially requires. Hmm, it's hard to explain. The writers quite weren't quite there yet. I don't think. I guess that's maybe the best way of summarizing. And this, it. The, you know, this is not a fully formed show yet. I mean, you know, no. Michael Pillar was still the showrunner at this point, I believe. And so the 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 person who becomes the showrunner and really shapes what Deep Space Nine becomes in later seasons is writing for the show, but he's not in charge. What's the name again? Iris Stephen Bear. Yes. Okay. And so you know, there there's some of that too. I mean, when does the, he? Uh, I believe he. He kind of takes over, I think, at the beginning of the third season, and okay. by the by the end of the third season, he's completely in charge. Okay, and you have to remember what was going on at this time too, because this was uh, the seventh season of TNG was going on at this time, and I believe okay. they were also just starting pre production work on Star Trek Voyager. So there was a lot of stuff going on, and that's why Michael Pillar left the show running duties on Deep Space Nine next year because he mm-hmm. was developing. Star Trek Voyager with with Jerry Taylor. So there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, this was like, you have to remember too, 1993, 1994, like the mid-90s were pretty much the most active period for Star Trek, I think, in Star Trek's entire history. You know, it it really was a golden age of Star Trek in a way because there was so much going on. Yeah. Um, But anyway, we didn't really talk about Lee Nollis a lot. And I think that his character is... I don't know. It doesn't really seem necessary. I mean, the whole the whole first part of this three parter is taken up with Kira's rescue of him, and I think that you probably could have gotten rid of his character, and you probably could have made it this a two parter. And I don't know that it really would have made all that much difference. Yeah, I mean, there's part of it is to show. I mean, th- there is this definite Lee Nollis is used for this theme of. Um, it, you know, he is this living legend, and, you know, at the end, his death is this stupid, meaningless death. He didn't really sacrifice himself. I mean, he does, actually. He jumps in front of the bullet meant for somebody else, but, um, 
you know, so he does die in a way, a hero's death, but he dies. Also, frankly, it's the most lazy death ever because what the hell even happened? It's like Bashir was just kind of like, oh, he got shot. Well, I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) Like, it was so No, I know. Like, imagine, would Dr. Crusher have, you know, given up? You know, this is a... This is a woman who's used cortical stimulators, you know, for a, about five or six times after everybody said, look, you know, it's it's useless. You know, she, you know it's um, his death is a little plot driven more yeah, than anything uh, else. Again, yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, I get I, the sense. I don't know, but I get the sense that they killed him because they didn't want to deal with the character anymore. They're like, well, that's yeah, over. they can. Get- and that's that's not great. No, I mean, it's a and they make it clear that at the end, you know. And yes, it's it's fine that, you know, it, it ends with him, you know, being able to get off the hook, you know, as he says he wants. And, um, you know, it is, like I said, they do have that little bit of irony that he's going to be re- remembered as this great hero and this, you know, uniting force for the people. And it's as the uh, it's as the circle guy says, you know, he has more value dead, you know. Yeah. If he, you know, we can't kill him because then he's going to be a martyr and. And now he is. I mean, you know, and so in, in, in one sense, I guess it's it's a, a nice way to cap off the whole circle storyline, because, of course, you have Kira and Dax who are, you know, now presenting the evidence at the council. And, and Vedic Wynn, of course, suddenly goes, well, all right, then, like she completely. Yeah, like at that dime. point, at that point, when, you know, Wynn and the other guy, Joro, is that Jomo? Something like that. Jaro, with I think. Yeah. Jaro. Minister Jaro. Yeah. Good job. Minister- Thank you, Minister Jello. Um, <laughs> and you know he, he's saying, "Well, you know, if the because you know, I mean, they've made it clear that Jaro himself doesn't know that the Cardassians are involved in this. Correct. I mean, there is a an well. Here's actually this is going back into the question about the circle because one of the main reasons that we know that the uh, <laughs> um, one of the main reasons that these characters don't want the circle to take over and don't want the Federation to go out is because they recognize that, you know, this is a Cardassian plot. And the second the Federation pulls away, the Cardassians are going to come back. Sure. And, um, even before they figure it out, they don't want this coup to happen because, you know, again, Kira has made it very clear that she, and she's a proxy for the, the show's feeling that the Federation is going to be Bajor's best hope for, you know, going into its next era of history. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think it's very interesting that we have that pitted against, you know, again, Bajor doing this for itself. Again, the circle is a Bajor for Bajorans thing. And the show is saying, well, that's, they're not going to be able to do it. They don't have the resources. They don't have the, you know, quite the ability to. And, you know, again, we think the Federation, we know that the Federation will be the one that will, let Bajor get back on its feet and stay Bajoran um, yeah. in a way that, you know, the Cardassians wouldn't, of course. But um, I guess what is it from a Bajoran's perspective? You know, let's take the Cardassians out of the equation for a moment. Let's say that the Bajorans are being armed, honestly, and that Cardassia is done. Why is it bad that the circle takes over? I don't know. Yeah, and, and I and, think that's that's kind of actually important. I mean, I think that the that, that the sense is that, you know, and, and maybe this is, you know, on the one hand, I could say, well, this was a by design, right? But on the other hand, I think it's a little bit of a failing of, of this three-parter yeah. that we don't know what the circle stands for besides xenophobia. We don't really know what Minister Jaro's political beliefs are. We don't really get a good sense of, of, of what's important And to- I mean, you know— them and and frankly i don't you know minister jaro just comes across as a bond villain uh none of this really gels very well if you start picking at it or thinking about it in any way you know we don't know what the we don't you know who says it's xenophobic it's either o'brien or uh odo i think it is and well i mean i i think that i think that the evidence that that the circle is xenophobic that's true they do beat up uh Quark. Yeah, you're and also right. they they tell all the non Bajorans to leave. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's some things there that okay, that that's fair. Right. Um, but at the same point, you know, I I do agree that we are the circle has a point to the degree that they do want to build up Bajor themselves rather than calling the Federation than calling Daddy to do that, and I think there is a degree to which you know. The average Bajoran, you know, that's part of what 
you know, the, the circle's rhetoric might be attractive to the average Bajoran because there are a lot of people who feel that the Federation is just another master. Yeah. You know, as the Cardassians were. And so I don't know if the show quite, the show hasn't yet quite gotten into the full implications of that. But, um, you know, what, what is at, you know, Jaro might feel that Bajor's sovereignty is at stake here. I mean, there, there are legitimate reasons for why he may be doing this coup, doing the circle. And, you know, is the, is the, is the problem with, you know, if, is the problem with this circle led Bajor that, you know, nobody else is going to be able to enjoy the wormhole? Is it that, you know, they're going to be this, you know, because you, you get the sense that a very isolated, ba- you know, that Bajor in the circle is going to be very isolated, you know, from yeah, the Yeah, and I, you know, and, and that's kind of the problem is that we could sit here and speculate about yeah, what exactly the, the circle is or isn't for, for hours. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because the yeah. the episode doesn't provide us with enough information or context to really know. And I think that that's part yeah. of the reason why at the end of the day, this final part of the uh, uh, of this story just kind of feels so flat. Yeah. The scene where, you know, when Dax and uh, Kira go in and, you know, again, you know, uh, Wynn and Jaro, again, they are just finding out that the Cardassians are behind all of this and that the Federation was right. And, you know, Jaro knows as well as anybody that, you know, the Cardassians back are is even worse, you know, but he... And they very quickly, in the face of this year of feudal evidence, back down. But, I mean, there was even a moment when, you know, the look that Kira gives Wynn and uh, 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 and Jaro was very like, oh, well, well what, what the hell are they planning next? This is very bad. But it turned yeah. out to just be fine, you know? I, I, I mean, if J- the circle is gone for right now, but what if Jaro finds an honest weapons dealer? Right, exactly. And and we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the end of the episode also kind of plays out very strangely because, of course, Minister Jaro uh, makes this strange pronouncement in the doorway and then never disappears and we don't see him again in the episode. And it's like, yeah, OK, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I don't I mean, you know, will we see Minister Jaro again? Will we not? Who knows? I mean, you know, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But and that's kind of the problem, too, is that, you know, yeah, that by calling win, it a three parter, are we done? Right. Are we done? I, you know, maybe we are. I don't know. And then, of course, Vedic Wynn is a little bit problematic as well in this episode because she reveals herself. Well, I don't know if she's problematic. I actually think she works pretty well because she definitely reveals herself to be much more of a politician than yeah. Minister Jaro. And I think that, you know, Vedic Wynn is a character to watch because I think that in the episodes that we've seen her in so far, we, we realize how smart and how ambitious she really is oh yeah i mean you know that she recognizes instantly that you know the game is up we gotta go to another one but um you know i i think it's interesting that uh you know what really strikes me about win is how patient she is because you know she really knows the value of retreating you know we saw her at the end of you know, we're an assassination attempt against Baral didn't work. You know, she just kind of goes back, you know, and she snarks a bit at Kira. But that's about, you know, that's about all she does. Like, you know, we've seen, again, compare that to, uh, you know, Bajor and Steven Weber, who the second anything goes out, like flips out and starts shooting. Like, yeah. you know, Wynn doesn't have the breakdown. She recognizes, all right, not today, you know, and she's going back and she's going to plot. And I really like that about her. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, the, I kind of, I kind of like that too because there's two ways to read that. You know, either Vedic Win has like seven different schemes going on right now, and if yeah. one fails, she's got four backups, yeah. or she knows to change courses very, very quickly, and she realizes that even though this plan has failed, she'll come up with another one. That I mean, it's probably a cross between the two. You know, she's not loyal to Jaro because you know she's loyal to Jaro. You know, she. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's interesting the way that they, they have a very interesting dynamic because that, you know, he, he always is like, you know, holding her and, you know, touching her behind the back. And like, you almost get the sense that I, I don't know what, you know, Vedics are allowed or not allowed to do, but you get the sense he wants to have a political marriage, you know, at that point. And, oh, I you think know, that if they haven't had sex yet, they will. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you could tell that. I mean, from her bearing in all of those scenes, you know, 
I mean, she has no emotions for anybody but herself. You know, Jaro may actually, you know, have some kind of, you know, even if it's simply a, you know, political attraction to her, he definitely appreciates her as a person. She only appreciates whoever is going to make her Kai at that moment. You know, if the circle took power and, you know, then yes, you know, she'll get married to him and, you know, it's a Kai and, you know, the leader of the planet and they're going to have... That because that yes would be an extremely strong political union at that point, but yeah, she's gonna find somebody else who's gonna help you know help her cause at this point. Like, I I I don't know, because uh, Jaro's, I don't know. Jar Jaro can either try to rearm himself and try to redo the circle, but to a degree, I almost wonder if he's he's. I don't see him as resilient as she is. You know, this is already. Two schemes that have been foiled, and, you know, the show would be stupid to not, you know, bring your on for a third. Yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you well, know, I, anyway. At the end of the day, I think that, that you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this episode, but it, it kind of... The, the 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 stuff that's interesting is interesting in spite of itself and not really because of anything that the 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 three parter uh, has yeah. going for it in a sense. I think. Which, I mean, you know, it's th- fine. You know, the bits that I really liked about it were, you know, there's, oh my, you know, I really liked the whole Kira and Dax mission, you know, when they're going and, you know, it's always nice to see Kira, you know, getting back in her old ways, you know, and she's, she's loving the fact that she is driving this shitty ship, you know, and, and that's. You know, the, she she is really thrilled by being in this hopeless situation, you know, because that is, you know, what she thrives. This is old times for her, you know? Yeah. And I like the Kira and Dax relationship, you know, and that they are, you know, they have this really great scene, you know? I like the whole, you know, the bit with the combat rations is funny, you know? The bit with the hollow suite is the most obvious trap we've ever seen, and I'm surprised it took the series this long to do it. But, yeah. you know, I, like... These are really, you know, there are a lot of really great scenes in it, but I mean, let's face it, none of that was super deep, you know. It, no, it, but it's just it's nice. And it's I think it nice adds, to, yeah. It adds something to the show, and I think that you know, it, it shows that the 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 series is interested in the characters, yeah, and not necessarily in the plot. Which you know, okay, but again, that's fine. The, you know, the business. I I enjoyed watching the business with the combat rations, or again, the de- you know the. Dax Kira adventure or, you know, them trying to sneak out into, you know, the, you know, and wear these outfits, you know, that, that was much more better established and very, it's much more coherent than the actual plot of the episode, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, invasive procedures, which I think is a better episode than the siege, but also has some we're going to have to talk about Jadzia because, because there's problems with her, but yeah, this is, it's another trill episode, which I really liked. And I really liked that they established some stuff, but I'm still left with a bunch of questions about the trill that I think the episode thinks it answered and that it didn't. Okay. Well, let's start off with that. What, what, what questions are those that you don't think the show has answered? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, they're making it a I think part of the problem is that we don't see anything of what Jedzia is like without Dax. We yes. see that one very brief scene where, you know, she's half under anesthesia and, you know, she says, oh, I'm very lonely. You know, I feel very. And that's about all she says. You know, she and, doesn't really. And that feeds into my main problem with the episode is that this is the second, quote unquote, Jadzia Dax episode where Jadzia is basically a non-entity. Yeah, I mean, we we it it would be interesting to see the, okay. So what the hell is the guy's name? Varad. Varad. Um, we see Varad before and after Dax, and you know we can see some, you know, similarities in terms of you know again the level of confidence is much more, and you know we see you know Jadzia is a very Jadzia Dax is very confident, very you know, and all of that. You know we see some similarities, but. It would be interesting to see more of a Jadzia as Varad was before Dax, you know, maybe. Or, but at the other end, I don't think she is that kind of a person you now because we we don't really know what the difference between Jadzia pre-Dax and Jadzia post-Dax is. We don't know what the affinities are between versions of Dax. Uh, we don't know. 
frankly, we don't know how Varad Dax feels about, you know, Varad Dax very much avoids how he feels about, you know, Jadzia lying there and, you know, ignores that. And wouldn't you think that the Dax part of that would be trying to get him, get back into the original body? You know, like that makes the Dax part seem ineffective and a little callous. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think that the show hasn't really grappled with the question of what what exactly the symbiote's role is in yeah. all of this. And you know, is it just like a hard drive that carries extra memory? We don't know. It doesn't seem to be, right? Because of yeah. course when when Varad is joined, he becomes a different person. And and Cisco very explicitly tells his wife or whoever the hell she is that his consort his consort that that he will become a different person now how much of that is cisco we've playing, been told, playing I mean, with her and how much is not we don't know but in the episode dax we are explicitly told that there is a blending of the two personalities you right know? right and you know we are I, I i think the metaphor i used was it's almost like a couple like you have an identity you know as two people um and when you're with, you know, one friend, you'll have a slightly different personality. Like it's a, that's kind of how I extrapolated into what Trill is in a way. But and I think know. that's that's really the the problem with the episode because the episode is focused on the wrong thing. The episode yeah. is focused on telling us more about Dax and less on telling us more about Jadzia, and that's kind of weird because Dax is a ball of whatever. And, yeah. and Dax is He's a, a very, slug. Well, the problem is that Dax is a uh, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. It's it's an idea. It's not really a person. And yeah. Jadzia and, you know, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about television. You know, Jadzia is an actual, you know, human actor who we can identify with. And they're more interested in telling us about the special effects slug than they are in telling us about this woman. Yeah. And. That's a problem because Jadzia is sort of othered in her own episode for the second time. If you think about the first episode that she had Dax from the first season, she was, again, a non-entity in her own episode. She kind of sat there. She didn't say anything. Partly it was because of plot reasons. She didn't want to say anything because of the whole mystery about how she was actually sleeping with this guy, this woman (laughs) or whatever. But, you know, again... Jadzia is is basically sidelined in her own episode. We don't reveal anything about her. Nothing is told to us about her. And it's just kind of... I don't want to go so far as to say it's sexist, but the fact of the matter is we have a female character who is again being sidelined, and it just doesn't feel great, you know? And especially considering that Varad keeps referring to her as a girl, it's like, no, you know what? Jadzia is not a girl. She's a woman. Like... I don't know. The whole thing just strikes me as a little strange. Yeah, no, no, I don't. That that is completely yes. Um, again, we 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 get a very clear idea of what Varad is before and after, uh, and after again. Um, but we get nothing about what Jadzia is, right? And yeah, um, I mean, the episode is much more about Varad than it is about Jadzia, which I think is a problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, I mean, you could make the argument that the episode is not about Varad. It's about Dax. Okay, fine. But, but we still need to know. See, the problem is that I don't know who Jadzia Dax is apart from Jadzia. And I think that, you know, we can talk about yeah, Dax. Yeah, what is, what is, you know, what does Dax do for Jadzia? Because, you know, we've gotten glimpses of who she was. You know, she it, she says, you know, she, we, we know that she was extremely driven. She was, you know, when she was younger, uh, she was ridiculously smart, ridiculously well-rounded, ridiculously driven and ambitious. And, you know, it would be, you know, to me, I almost feel like the Dax symbiote, you know, brings in a way a bit of humanity to Jadzia because I could see her being one of those, you know, frankly, I almost think of her like a Paris from, you know, Gilmore Girls type of thing, you know, before that, you know, because, you know, from what we know about Curzon Dax, you know, Curzon loved ball games and he loved women, you know, and he liked getting into trouble, you know, and well, and that is, that is a great scene between Varad Dax and and Cisco when they're reminiscing. I mean, that's fantastic. I definitely want to talk about actually Cisco in a second, but, um, you know, but, but, you know, again, this is me making something up. This is me having to extrapolate and make up a personality and what this does for 
because the show doesn't tell us. Right. And you know what? If the, if, frankly, if the show is not interested in Jedzia as a discrete entity, that's fine. You know, like I, I don't necessarily need to know what Jedzia was like before the joining because that's not the character that we're presented with in this show. But then why do this episode? You know, it, yeah. it, 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 see, it, and why, why, why make – because we originally had – the original conception of the Trill, um, you know, from Next Generation um, doesn't really – it doesn't really go much into the what, the you know, the host is like before the symbiote. But – Well, and I think you, know, you it kind does of need imp- to, like, just forget yeah. about that because that was well, – Well, no, no, no. But, but, you know, my point is that it almost implies that the host is not a – conscious entity at all and deep space nine makes a very specific point to say well no you know it's a blending it's not you know the the symbiote you know the symbiote doesn't take over you know absorb the you know it makes a very specific point to tell us that there are discrete individuals that host the trill and yet it doesn't do anything with the one that they who's the main cast member yeah and it also reveals that that only 10 percent of the trill are even joined right so you know, ninety percent of the the planet's population is not joined. So, so obviously yeah. they are not. You know, just just automatons walking around yeah. waiting for for symbiotes. I mean, that that just is not the case. No, and, I mean you get the you know, and that's another thing. They very they they touch upon that, but they don't really go into that. But there must be two very distinct social classes on Trillia. You know what I mean? Like, oh, sure, like yeah. The the, the the people who have been joined are obviously some kind of elite and they don't really go into that. You know, they, they, he, they touch on the fact that, you know, Jadzia is coming from a fairly privileged position. I mean, let's, let's be fair. She doesn't, you know, at, as Varad, you know, rightfully points out, you know, when she says, well, look, it's okay. You can still be a very, you know, productive member of society. Like she is being very, you know, yeah. Un- unconsciously condescending at that point, and you know he calls her out on that. But that's much more interesting than me to to me than the rest of the episode. You know that I you know okay suddenly you know there 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 is a very specific tension on this planet, and that's very interesting. You well, know, he- yeah, and I think that, but you know, part of the problem with that though is that. I think that if 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 I had gotten a sense from this episode and previous episodes about Dax and the symbiote that the the, the writers had some sort of backstory that they were parceling out in 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 chunks yeah. that that I would be a lot more willing to go along with this ride. But you know, there's there's information missing here that I don't think that the writers have, and yeah. It's kind of a problem because, you know, Jadzia reveals in this episode that, that that the vast majority of the planet's population is not joined. She reveals that there's a there's a strict, you know, selection yeah. process. Who knows what's involved in that? We don't know what the criteria are for being joined. We have no idea. Uh, yeah. But and we're told that, you know, if you're joined to an improper host, it can be, you know, physical or psychological damage. And yes, you can. Pretty much, you know, you can assume how somebody who's not in perfect health, you know, should not take a symbiote or, you know, somebody who has, you know, he obviously has some kind of, you know, anxiety, you know, and, you know, he's not quite as confident. And, yeah, that may be considered a that's not somebody who the society sees as elevating to this elite status well but, and it, yeah and it also it also raises all sorts of uncomfortable questions about what exactly they mean because of course if you're talking about uh the symbiote making someone a completely different personality mm-hmm. and sort of like making sure that they have the fullest and richest amount of experiences possible uh and it seems like the symbiote has a very long life and perhaps i, I you know maybe doesn't die who knows i mean haven't we life- been told 300 years at this eight, point yeah eight lifetimes is a long time yeah uh, and of course Jadzia was just joined a couple you know months ago or a year ago or whatever but still it's it's a pretty long time yeah and uh, also it's also implied that dax is still in its prime you know it's yeah, not like absolutely. this is nowhere near the last incarnation you know we've right. got Right. Another have, six to go, maybe even. Right. And so, you know, my kind of question about this is if you have and, and I will say that there is an episode, I think, in the third season that goes into a lot of this that is quite good um, okay. and really does reveal a lot of this information and kind of then maybe they did figure it out. Yeah, I, they do figure it out. But, um, you know, so so stay tuned for that. But, you know, we have to go with the information we're presenting in this episode. Yeah. And my, my sort of problem with this is that, you know. If you have a a selection board or whatever on Trill that is picking the best of the best to be joined, 
then really you're limiting the experiences of the symbiote. I mean, because this is saying that someone who is disabled or someone who is not exactly like the smartest person in the world or someone who's just having an average life is not going to give experiences to the, the, the symbiote that is not valuable. And so you're really setting up this really strange tension in the society. And, Mm. you know, we're left, we're left to extrapolate out that, that there could be, as you say, um, some really different social strata on on the Trill homeworld that that could be uncomfortable for people that are not. I joined. mean, I'm I'm gonna put it this way, you know, we we the only Trill we've seen have been white. Now that could be uh you know, just a happen to thing. But I mean, there could be a well. I think that has more to do with the the casting and anything else. <laughs> but I mean, but you know, to, to apply that to you know again real world you know, people getting jobs. I mean, you yeah. know, well, yeah. people that, you know, we, we especially, you know, I now I work, live in the video game scene where, you know, diversity is a very important thing, but a lot of people talk about how, you know, companies will hire white dudes, you know, just because, and, you know, if you have a Spanish name on your resume, you know, you might not get a, you know, and women, you know, all of these things are pressures in the real world. So there must be some kind of social class and whether it's racial in the sense that, you know, America is or whatever, there is some kind of class and trill that, you know, their applications get tossed in the garbage immediately, you know, just for, you know, random reasons. As And as you said, that limits the experience of the symbiote. Sure, so, sure. you know, that that's that's something that I, you know, trill brings up that, again, they're not really prepared to deal with yet. Yeah. But again, you know, these are all interesting questions. And I think that, that, that you know, this is exactly what what truck about is for but at the same yeah. time uh you know we have to talk about the episode as it as well, it exists and you know and what, i guess what, what we well, what get is s- just not that interesting really what i can say well i i can say about last week's episode and this week's you know no I, about these two episodes that their big failing is that they bring up more interesting questions that we can just you know spin random things about than they actually are as episodes they're more yeah intriguing episodes that don't deliver on their intrigue. But, you know, I will say that, that both of these episodes are well-constructed. They're entertaining. You know, they're definitely, this would be an amazing TNG episode, frankly. Yeah. I think that that, that maybe part of the problem is, and I don't want to speak for you, but, but I'm kind of getting the sense from you that you're, you're kind of unease with these episodes has more to do with the fact that, that frankly, I think you're expecting more from this show. Yeah. I think, I think that's actually, that is actually a very fair point because, you know, I've been – frankly, I feel like the continu- – you know, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that the continuity that they did in TNG was better, but that was richer than I expected it to be, and this is poorer than I expected it to be. I think that's fair. Yeah, like I, I guess I, I didn't quite – I mean – you know, we mentioned Babylon 5 earlier, and, you know, and I'm at the point where, you know – this is a lot less hokey of a show than Babylon 5 could be. Babylon 5 can get very cheesy and stuff. But in terms of how they paced out a lot of their plot, I mean, you can tell that that show was – that they thought about everything, you know, that, you know, Straczynski thought about everything before he – and he had answers to all of these questions. And, you know, if the show – something like The Trill, you know, they put it in DS9 and they haven't con- completely answered all of these questions. And so – Yes, we, you know, we, we want to have a Trill episode. We want to have an episode where the symbiote essentially gets kidnapped. You yeah, know? yeah. And that's interesting, but because they don't have all of the world building done yet, you know, it, it feels like it has holes in it. You know? Right. I, one of the things that Babylon 5 did better was when they would have, you know, they, they knew all about, you know, what the Centauri were and did, you know, on their first appearance. You know, they they knew what kosh was you know and, and then they, that way the the bits that they hold back you can tell they're holding back because you know not yet we'll, we'll we'll tell you that when it's time but not because well we don't really know so we're gonna hand wave around it a lot of this episode feels like it's hand waving around it you know you you ask the you tell the writers okay well we need to have a scene with jadzia all by herself you know without the symbiont. Well, we don't really know what that is. So yeah, we're just going to yeah. give her three lines and they'll be very just kind of generic. I mean, I, you know, honestly, Barad and Jax pretty much have the same scene in their post-surgery. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dialogue. Yeah. And, and, and this is making me realize actually that, you know, this is kind of a, a side point, but 
Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5, and we've, we've brought it up a couple times in this episode, and it's the first time that we've brought it up, but, you know, uh, if there is any interest out there from the audience, I mean, maybe, you know, once we get uh, deeper into Deep Space Nine, or maybe perhaps once we, we, we finish it in a year or so, uh, you know, we could do a special podcast talking about Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine in, in, in oh, some yeah. sort of way, you know, that... I'd that... have to rewatch B5. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> I know I don't either. <laughs> like there are episodes that I would rewatch. I would rewatch the uh, uh, intersections in real time. I would rewatch, you know, the final. But you know, well, I mean, I'll say something controversial, and Richard knows what I'm going to say because we've had conversations off mic about this. But uh, uh, Babylon Five is not aged well, and <laughs> uh, it's not very good. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, anyway, yeah, and I think that you know. The episode, as an episode of television, is fine. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, 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 wor- it's- I worried about the plot. I worried about the characters. You know, I was, how did they, how are, in a, how are they going to get out of this one, you know, sense? It was excellent. You know, this was a, you know, your typical diehard on a space station, you know, and, you know, we, we get to see the characters doing stuff. We even get to see Quark do an action scene, you know? Yeah, and and Quark is a little problematic in this element, of course, yeah. in this episode, though, of course, because I think that, you know, uh, uh, Kira basically writes him off and says he's crossed the line. Odo is very upset with him because he basically, like, committed a felony. and Which uh, he's, this is the second time <laughs> that he led a bunch of terrorists onto the station and felt bad about it and realized, like, oh, shit, there are lines, you know. Yeah. There is a, you know, Quark was starting to get to the point where, you know, he would... Quark will screw over anybody, but he's starting to, you know, see the the main cast, frankly, as people who he doesn't want to screw over. And frankly, every so often, you know, he even wants to help them out of the goodness of his little Ferengi heart. You but know? you know, this is a this is a criticism of this episode that Armin Shimmerman had, which I which I actually agree with, is that yeah. you know, Quark really crossed the line here, and he had no punishment, yeah. and it's kind of like. You know, they they either have to have Quark, you know, get some punishment or not have him do things like this. <laughs> yeah, it kinda and ma- you know, it kind of makes. I the, frankly the... thought this was the point where he would. I I thought he's past the point of wanting to. Yeah, you know, be that. I mean, Odo deputized him. You know, I mean, I would rather see that start to go to his head, and you know, him get very protective of the sh- of his main cast while still, you know. I, to maybe a degree, he didn't quite realize what these people wanted to do. You know, maybe he didn't realize yeah. that they wanted to, you know. But at the same time, you know. Well, I mean, I, I, f- frankly, if they wanted to, I mean, if Jedzia, well, let, let's even say, you know, Jedzia survives, uh, they could charge him with attempted murder or accessory yeah. to attempted murder. I mean, there's a lot of factors here that, that are just not really involved. And I think that, you know, again, uh, it's it's the kind of thing where, Perhaps the writers have not fully internalized the seriousness of what Quark is doing. Yeah, yeah Quark is a it rascal is... and whatever, but at the same time, they're having Quark commit some pretty serious crimes, yeah. and it's kind of like, well, all right, we need to get this not doing this anymore because it, it frankly makes everyone seem a little yeah. stupid. You know, it's it's one thing if he's you know trying to smuggle illegal latinum somewhere it's one thing sure. if he is you know his if his games are rigged it's one thing if he you know tries to make more people spend you know spend money in the holodecks it's 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 one thing if he's going to screw over someone for some credits you know there is you know quark is about material acquisition and again as i've said about you know quarks you know he he, he the, you know you can't con an honest john and you know there yeah. is uh a degree to that but in this episode he's trying to con some honest johns and that's not okay yeah it's you not know, okay he, yeah yeah it's one thing you know you you people go to quirks you know to gamble and if you lose money in gambling you know well that's what you signed up for but jadzia did not sign up for this no no absolutely not and you know i think actually the one interesting thing about you know to move away from quark for a minute is that uh jadzia dax really does reveal herself to 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 have a lot of uh, character and I think you know a moral standing because you know everyone says well the Klingon says oh you know she just kind of let herself to be slaughtered blah 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 and I think that you know they don't state this in the episode which I actually think is 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 to the episode's credit uh, you kind of have to walk this back a little bit but I think that Jadzia's decision to so readily just let Dax go yeah. has more to do with the fact that 
um, joined trill and perhaps all trill, even non-joined trill, feel a real responsibility to to protect the symbiotes. And so mm. she realizes that she's in an untenable situation. And at the end of the day, Jadzia's life is not the most important thing here. It's Dax's yeah. life. And frankly, Dax's life and the lives of everybody else, because I mean, I think it is very clear that, you know, Varad actually, you know, Varad doesn't care about Jadzia. That's that's very clear. Right. But I think they she also does recognize that he's being honest when he says, you know, as long as, you know, we get the surgery and I get out of here, everyone else is going to be fine. And as you said, you know, the symbiote will live on. It's a very shame that Jadzia would die in the prime of her life. But, you know, given given all you know jadzia would die anyway is the and yeah given you know if 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 the klingons started shooting and you know maybe kira would get killed maybe cisco would get killed you know that yeah. that would so yeah it's a you know it is a surrender but it's the you know it's it's less a surrender than it is her figuring out well who's how what's the greatest good for the greatest number yeah, exactly. And I think, you, it, know, you know, that that which is the many and which is the few in this situation. Well, Jadzia is the few. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, maybe the last thing to talk about before we wrap this episode up is is, you know, Cisco and Varad, of course, because oh, we I love really Cisco meant- and everyone. Well, yeah, this episode makes it very clear that Cisco's strength is more social than Picard or uh, Kirk's was, you know, Kirk was all about action and about, you know, decisiveness and. Uh, Picard is very much about diplomacy and, you know, it, it, you know, philosophy and Cisco is much more social and frankly, social, he's really good. He's good at reading people and in a way he manipulates both the consort and Virage, sure. you know, into, yeah. you know, into having this complete rift between, I mean, that scene where, you know, he is talking to Dax and he, you know, talking to Vereen Dax and he immediately recognizes how he can make him, you know, he, he he immediately realizes that the woman is go, is scared at the thought of actually losing Vereen. And what she wants is a better Vereen. not Vereen. A Vereen. Ben, oh, my God. <laughs> ben Vereen. Uh, yeah. The, he was in an episode, wasn't he? Um, He was. The seventh season uh, TNG episode um, with, uh, he played um, uh, Jordy's dad. Aw. Um, Interface, I think it was. Yes. Um, He recognizes that, you know, to make Varad be the, mo- you know, that what he needs to do is get Varad to be completely different. And sure. he starts talking to him as Curzon Dax and he brings out Curzon Dax and he realizes that very astutely that that's the thing that's going to freak out the, the, the woman the most, you know, and he does that very well. You know, again, I, that, that's, that's making it clear what Cisco's real strengths are. I mean, he is very good at reading people and, you know, he's very good at getting people really fired up and excited, you know, when he says, oh, let's do this, you know, come on, you know, yeah. that, that's that's kind of the generic Cis- how Cisco's pep talks, you know, usually end. And, you know, I like that about him. I think that's it's we're starting to get a very strong sense, stronger sense of who Cisco is. Again, the first season wasn't as much about him as it was about Kira. Maybe this is going to be a more Cisco heavy season. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But maybe. I, I, I like that you're starting to to get a sense of who Cisco is because I yeah. think that in a lot of ways, uh, Cisco is not my 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 favorite main character. I mean, I'm I'm going to call him a captain, even though he's not a yeah, captain. Yeah, I know. You, you know, mean. you know what I mean. It's like he he's not my favorite captain, but uh, he definitely is up there. And I think that that you know the show has done a lot of good work so far in you know because he hasn't really been front and center in a lot of these episodes, yeah. but. You know, in his relationship with Jake, in the way that he interacts with all the people under his command, you know, in the way that he gets out of situations, I think that they're making him a very, very dynamic character in a very interesting way. And that's what I like about Cisco. And I think that, you know, as the show develops and as Cisco goes on, you certainly get more of that. So I I like that you're appreciating that about Cisco. Yeah. I mean, he's also, I mean, he's a much fuzzier person than, you know, Picard was very standoffish and you know kirk was very passionate certainly but you know i i think cisco allows himself to be more vulnerable around people than the other of the two or he's more 
honest about her. He doesn't really put up as much of a front as Kirk or or Picard does. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, and the final thing that I want to mention before we wrap this episode up is that uh, you saw the guy who plays Tuvok in this episode. Did I? Yeah. So this is the second time that Tim Russ has appeared in, uh, T- in uh, Star Trek. The first one was in Starship Mine from the sixth season of Starship TNG. Mine! Where he played one of the terrorists that Picard had to fight. And uh, in this one, he plays a Klingon. Okay. And the next well, time, the next time that we see him, actually, no, I think that he was in. He was in Generations too, so we saw him. This is actually the third time that you've seen him. Oh my god! So Tuvok must be like the best character if they keep casting this guy. Yeah, and you see Tim Russ once more in Deep Space Nine. I will not say when, how, or what character he plays, but I will say that you will be excited to meet him. Is he playing Tuvok? Perhaps. Perhaps not. All right. If you would like to share your thoughts on either one of these episodes, please do so in the post for this episode at truckaboutshow.com. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash truckaboutshow. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash truckaboutshow. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. We have a lot of them, and they are all good, but we need more. Next week, we are talking about the episodes Cardassians, which is very very imaginatively titled, and Melora. Okay. This this series doesn't have as great titles as, you know, I mean, TNG was good. Uh, Original series had the best titles, I have to say. For the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible episode, but great, uh... Great title. I do believe that I believe that DS9 has the longest Star Trek episode title in history. Longer... Hello, everybody. My name is Captain Cisco, and this is an episode about Odo. I love you. How did you know that? That's from the fifth season. That's so good. Are you looking I, ahead? I love looking ahead. Oh, Richard. All right. Well, join us next week when we talk about Cardassians and Melora. Yeah.